0: 60 degrees, ha ha, 360 degrees, ha ha, 306, 306, 360 degrees, ha ha. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the KPFA First Voice Apprenticeship Program. We're broadcasting from right here in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley. Have you ever felt discriminated against in your search for housing? Maybe you felt denied because you had kids or even for the color of your skin. Well, who is looking out for this discrimination and what can be done if you feel this has happened to you or someone you know? On tonight's show, we'll speak with a tenant's rights advocate from Echo Housing to learn about some of the services they provide and how they look out for housing discrimination. We'll also hear about a particular case of tenant harassment and what to do if you experience it yourself. Then, later, in the second half of the show, we'll learn about a recent case out of Pittsburgh, California, where a man was stabbed outside the DMV. Could this have been prevented? And who was the actual victim here? We'll get the latest news on that. All that tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Will and Franklin. Keep it locked right here to Full Circle on KPFA. Again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. I am your host tonight, Freewell and Franklin. And from its inception, the United States has had a terrible record on housing discrimination. When this USA was created, only white men could own land. Move on throughout the years, and there was continued resistance to letting certain people own land or homes, whether it be actual laws in place or the black codes, or redlining. Besides the color of your skin, you can experience housing discrimination for having children, being disabled, or maybe your sexual orientation, or even for having an emotional support animal. Tonight we will take a look at discrimination in housing, how it happens, and how it is detected, proven, and prevented. Let's check out this interview with Echo Housing, produced by graduate apprentice Darlene Pagano.
1: In this next segment, we'll be hearing about another barrier tenants face with their landlords, and that is discrimination in rentals. My guest right now is Angie Watson-Hajem. She is the Fair Housing Coordinator with Echo Housing, Their main office is in Hayward, but they serve the Greater East Bay, working on housing issues. Angie, hello. Hi Darlene. How are you? Doing great. Would you let folks know about Echo Housing, about the programs dealing with the problems tenants have in their housing search and housing retention, and a little bit about your organization and We'll go from there.
2: So Echo Housing, we are one of the oldest fair housing agencies in the country. We got our start eight years ago, back in the early 60s. Some people came together to fight against discrimination in the East Bay. And this small group of people were able to get funding, and they were able to start an agency. And our first office was actually in Castro Valley. Over the past 55 years or so, we have expanded. And we have offices throughout Alameda County. We have our main office in Hayward. We have an office in Oakland. We do work in Contra Costa County. And we have two offices down in Monterey County. And so we got our start really fighting against discrimination. We were finding, especially back in the 60s, people of color, Black people, were not able to rent. They would go and try to find a place to live, and they were told things like, we don't allow people like you in our neighborhood, or they would just say, nothing's available. When it was, discrimination was a real barrier for many people in obtaining housing. Our agency has always been committed to making sure that everyone has equal access to housing. So when people feel like they have been denied housing or they are being treated unfairly in housing, they're being harassed in housing based on their protected class, whether it be their race, their religion, their marital status, because they have children, their disability, they can call an agency like ECHO Housing and we will take their complaint and we will do an investigation. So when someone makes an allegation, we wanna make sure that we have evidence of a problem really happening. We also do a lot of education. I myself do trainings throughout the county, Contra Costa County. I train landlords and property managers about fair housing laws. So they know what they can and cannot do. A lot of times a small, mom and pops, you get a small time landlord, they don't know much about the business of renting and they say and do things that are just egregious sometimes. (laughs) My job is to really provide the education to these um, housing providers so they know what they can and cannot do legally. I also do a lot of mediations between tenants and landlords when fair housing issues come up. I try to bring the parties together so we can work out a solution before it goes to court. I mean, we try to help prevent losses. So our mediation is a big part of what we do also. And then I just want to say to Arlene that not only do we do fair housing, we also have a tenant landlord department. So when tenants have issues about, you know, they got a rent increase or they have a landlord that's not fixing their broken oven or their window or, you know, making requests for repairs that are being ignored, we deal with those issues also. When it comes to tenants' ability to live in safe, habitable housing, we want to make sure that that's happening and that if tenants aren't being treated fairly by their landlords, aren't getting repairs made, we have landlords coming into their home unannounced, facing harassment. They can also come to ECHO Housing. We can help them with those issues as well. And outside of that, we also have other programs that we do too. So we have a first-time home buyer program. So people who want to become homeowners can come to classes and learn about how to you know get qualified, how to clean up their, their credit, how to work with the realtor, how to get a loan. Uh, we help them understand the tools that it's going to take for them to use to become home buyers. So we have that program. We do rent mediation through different cities. So when tenants get a rent increase, we have a program that helps to mediate those rent increases and so forth. So we do a lot of different things at Echo Housing and really helping tenants to be able to live in their home and be able to get housing and to stay in that housing outside of, you know, discrimination. That sounds like
1: quite a number of services. Before we go any further, Angie, I know that there are going to be a number of listeners who could use the services of ECHO Housing. So let's get some information out. We will be putting this up on our website kpfaapprentice.org. That's where all the links for tonight's show will be. But just for those people who are poised with pencil and paper right now, this is Echo Housing. That's E-C-H-O, Echo. Can you give the website and a telephone number, Angie?
2: Yes, absolutely. Our website is www.echo fair housing all one word echo fair housing.org. and so you can go on our website and get a lot of information about what we do and the different offices and so forth where we do our work and uh, as far as calling yes you can give us a call give you our main number to our main hayward office and that number is area code 510 581 Thank you. And listeners, all of this
1: information is going to be on the website after we upload this show. Angie, the fair housing test, I'm giving it that name, is pretty famous over the years, especially how it developed early on. So you're saying that issues of housing discrimination is a long-time area of work for ECHO. Would you talk about how that investigation
2: is done? What are the tests? What are the outcomes? So, when Fair Housing folks say testing, what we do is we try to simulate what actually happened in real life. So for example, if I have a mom with a toddler who called my office and said, you know, I went to this apartment complex on Shattuck Avenue. They had a for rent sign outside. My toddler and I got in the car and knocked on the the door of the manager and asked to see the apartment. And my toddler's crying and weeping and upset. And the manager says, oh, sorry, ma'am. The place is already taken. And I see that for rent sign still up you know, a few days later, a week later. So I'm going to start getting suspicious, right? You know, what's going on here? He told me that the place was not available, but I still see the for rent sign out. What's going on here? So I might call Echo Housing and talk to Angie at Echo Housing or (laughs) some other colleague of hers to file a fair housing complaint. So when a complaint comes to our office, we don't really know what's happening. We have a complaint and we listen to the person making a complaint, we take down notes, but we don't have any evidence. When we're dealing with fair housing, we have to, in discrimination, we have to have evidence. And so we might do a test. We might send out a person that has a child, like the complainant or someone who has a small child and someone who's single, not a child, and we'll have them go to that apartment to inquire about availability. And sometimes that's when we find discrimination. Sometimes the manager will say different things to different people based on their class. So we talked about testing. We're talking about setting up a situation where we're sending people out. These are uh, objective people, they don't know anything about the test, what we're doing as far as what we're looking for. We send them out with a profile and they go and they ask questions about what's available. And then they report back what, what they're told. A lot of times, uh, many groups around the country use these tests to uncover discrimination. So that's basically what we talked about when we talk about doing tests, sending people out to inquire about availability of apartments. And that was a very clever
1: and relatively easy to accomplish test to send matched applicants out to see what the feedback was. Is that still done?
2: Oh, absolutely. And that's sometimes the only way that fair housing groups like Echo Housing have to really get the evidence because marriages aren't going to tell you that, oh no, I don't want to rent to children. Although some do say that, (laughs) most of them know not to say that. So these tests that we do uh, really help put the spotlight on what's happening. And many, many groups throughout the country, in fact, probably most of them, their housing groups do some kind of testing. And what sort of authority
1: does ECHO have in these situations, or what kind
2: of amelioration are you able to accomplish? We are a client-driven organization. So, Whatever we do, whatever kind of outcome we have, we go back to the complainant and we ask them what they want to do. Sometimes a person simply wants to live in that home. And so they may want us to make a phone call to the owner, the manager, and attempt to help that person get into the housing. That happens sometimes, especially when it comes to people who may be disabled and need um, maybe a service animal or emotional support animal they don't really wanna sue the landlord. Oftentimes they just wanna be able to live, they have a place to live. So we try to do mediations when we can, if the client would like for us to do that. But sometimes people are very angry, you know, they have been locked out of housing illegally and they don't want to live there. They don't, don't feel like they would be comfortable, they would feel safe living in that place. So they do want to move forward with the case. In that situation, we have a couple of options. We can get an attorney if we have a very good case. Uh, we can sometimes find a fair housing attorney that will take. Complaint. If we can't get a fair housing attorney, we can go to HUD. HUD is the national fair housing agency here in this country, and they take fair housing complaints from groups like Echo Housing and private citizens who want to file a complaint. And so there's folks in the HUD office, our main office is in San Francisco, where where we are, and they will take on a complaint and they will do an investigation also. And if they find evidence, they have the ability to make that landlord pay punitive damages, compensatory damages, make them go to fair housing classes. HUD has authority to punish bad players to punish bad landlords there's also a state agency in california called the department of fair employment and housing people can also file a complaint with that state agency and they have the same kinds of powers that hud has so they can also do investigations they can also find Landlords for discrimination. They can make them pay money, make them go to fair housing classes and so forth. So those are some remedies that people have if they have been victimized by discrimination. They can, you know, have mediations done if they want to go that route. They can go through the HUD, DFH process, or they can get a fair housing attorney. Thanks for all that information,
1: Angie. Uh, We're going to wrap this section up. Is there anything uh, you were just waiting to say that I haven't asked you
2: about, Angie? Section 8. Section 8 is a program that is administered through the HUD agency. And what it does is that it provides low-income individuals the ability to live in housing that's affordable. So the way the Section 8 program works is that if I have a Section 8 voucher, I don't have to pay the full rent. I pay about 30 percent of my income on that rent so it's affordable so it's a really great program and for years and years and years and years landlords have said we won't take section eight we don't want to rent anyone on section eight we don't want to participate in the program and that was perfectly legal up until this year so our governor governor galvin Newsom, signed into law a ordinance, so actually it's a law now, that states it would be illegal for any landlord, any property manager or owner to deny someone housing just because they're on Section 8. If a person has bad credit or bad rental history, they can be denied on that basis, but you cannot deny someone housing simply because they are the holder of a Section 8 Voucher. This is a new protection. It's a protection that fair housing advocates have worked decades <laughs> to see come into law. So I wanted to just let people know that is a new protection. And then lastly, I would just say that everyone has a right to equal housing. Everyone has a right to live in the housing of their choice. If you can afford it, you should have a right to be able to rent that housing. And I would just say that if you feel like you have been denied the ability, to have that housing of your choice please do reach out to Fair Housing. Reach out to Echo Housing. Let us take your case. Let us see if we can help you. If we can't, we'll do our best to lead you to an organization that can. But know your rights. You have a right to, to, to live and to have the, the housing that you and your family um, see um, fit for yourself. So um, I know that Darlene's going to put our information on the website. Look at our website. You know, Call us. Uh, we're here to provide assistance to you. Well, let's squeeze
1: in one more time the URL, the the link to the website. Go
2: ahead. Yes, it's www.echofairhousing.org. And Echo Fair Housing is all
1: one word, no spaces. All one word, right, no spaces, yes. Well, Angie, you are an enthusiastic advocate for tenants and I appreciate and I'm sure the audience appreciates you bringing to our listeners this longtime resource in the Bay Area for assistance to tenants in their dealings with landlords in which the tenant is though usually the weaker partner of that pairing. So thank you very much for your work and
2: thanks for coming on Full Circle tonight. Thank you so much, Lee. I wanted to say thank you for making time for ECHO Housing. We always wanna be able to get our, the word out about what we do. So thank you for giving us the opportunity to share with your listeners about our work. I really appreciate that, thank you.
1: You are quite welcome. You're, you are doing a great service for us. Folks, kpfaapprentice.org is where you'll find all the links for this show if you need any follow-up just go on there thank you angie and on with the show
3: Hey, hey, Mr. Landlord Hey, hey, Mr. Landlord Hey, hey, Mr. Landlord Hey, hey, Mr. Landlord If I bake you a cake Will it help you forget That I haven't paid my rent If I fix you a meal Will it ease how you feel About my delinquent bill Hey, hey, Mr. Landlord Hey, hey, Mr. Landlord Hey, hey, Mr. Landlord Hey, hey, Mr. Landlord Landlord. If I gave you a third Will you be unperturbed That I haven't kept If I gave you a huff If I gave you a love Will you comprehend The times they are tough Hey Hey, hey, Mr. I'm Good with my hands, oh. I can till your lungs oh. oh, I've gone all the way to I heed your, your demands. demands. You can give me a task oh. to knit you a face mask. Oh, oh I've gone
0: Welcome back, everyone. This is Full Circle on 94.1 KPFA. I am your host tonight, Free Will and Franklin, and that song you just heard was Mr. Landlord by Ondara. And before the music break, we heard from Darlene Pagano speaking with Angie Watson-Hajem of Echo Housing. And just a reminder that we will have all the links to Echo Housing and even the music break on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show. Well, let's move on to our next segment tonight, which deals with a landlord harassing a tenant and what you can do about it if it is something that's happening to you. This was produced as part of the Pacifica National Show, COVID, Race and Democracy.
4: Hello, we are reporters for Pacifica Network. I'm Sarah Blanco, and I'm reporting with Free Will and Frank Sterling. We turn our attention to California, specifically a city in Contra Costa, where a renter has been feeling harassed by her landlord since the start of the COVID 19 pandemic, even though she says that she has informed him from the beginning that she wasn't going to be able to pay due to COVID 19. She has chosen to remain anonymous. We will call her Yannette. Yannette is self employed and her work is cleaning houses. The city she lives in and the county have an eviction moratorium until September 2020. While there are requirements she has as a tenant to document her income losses and to notify the landlord in time if she can't pay rent, she feels she has been doing so. The following audio documentary recordings we will hear came from Yenet directly and are being used with her permission. They highlight not only the struggle that her and her daughter face as renters affected by the pandemic, but also show their struggle Encouraged to make sure they exert their right to protect themselves in their own home. One of the times that the landlord arrived to her home, Gannett and her 12-year-old child called 911, and they recorded themselves doing so. These are short excerpts of the call. 911, where's your murder? Um, I want to file a report.
5: What are you reporting? Abuse, vocally because he's the landlord of the apartments and we feel like he's gonna come at any moment because he's done that before and we feel like he's gonna do that again. I am 12 and he was talking to me in a way that I really didn't like. He was cussing and he was telling me to shut up and I told him to stop and he was like, I don't care who you you are and this and now I don't feel safe sleeping here because I am scared he's gonna come and like do something to us, to me and my mom. I don't feel safe. He comes whenever he wants sometimes. Like, let's say an hour ago, he came and he banged on the window. He was banging, and my mom was taking a shower, and I was in the room. And, like, that's what makes me really unsafe because he was banging and banging on the door and on the window and on the walls and, like, looking through our um, window room. And it's made me feel real unsafe, and I feel like he's going to do that while we're sleeping, and I really don't want him to do that.
4: At the end of this 911 call, the operator does take down their phone numbers and lets them know that an officer will be calling them. The following audio is from a video taken when two people came to their door on behalf of the landlord. The tenant, Yannette, thinks that they may be the landlord's sons. They stand at the door and ask her for more documentation of loss of income, which she says she has sent already by email, and they tell her that it isn't enough.
6: Those documents don't really state that you're not getting a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, lawsuit. you know what? You know what? I'll figure out now this. I text you and I tell you, I'll let you know when I'm ready. So I'm not ready yet. But it's not, It's. I mean, you can't really state you're not ready if you're still getting paid because you're an essential worker. Okay, but this is like a, enough. I don't know why you come, like whatever you guys want. So this is not good. Well, it's not that whatever okay, well, we want. I mean, we need the... We need yeah, the I know. And, I understand that. So, and I understand. So I got your phone call. I text you back and you never answer, so... I, well, you just sent a text. You didn't call back. I, I you text like you time. back. When you guys don't want to answer my text, you guys don't do it. So... Well, I mean, uh, he, if he... Okay, you he, know he what? I'm not going to talk to you guys today. I'll let you know when I'm ready. But, I mean, you need to show us proper payment. I mean, that's...
4: In a letter dated April 6, 2020. Yannette's landlord sent a 24 hour notice of intent to enter premises for the next day between noon and 4 p.m. The reason given on the notice is simply inspect the premises. We hear the landlord upon entry to their home in this next clip. The landlord is holding his phone out like he either is recording or is appearing to be taking video. The tenants were taking their own video and here are some of the sounds as he wanders their home.
5: To inspect our
4: know yeah. Why do you want to inspect?
6: I don't understand why you are here all the time. The pim- you can whatever you want. That's yeah, not you, nice.
5: you banged on the door last time. You think that didn't scare us? You were banging on the window. In the you think box, that's okay? Windows, door, that's not nice. And you were cussing at her and we recorded it. Okay, we haven't That's fine.
6: That's fine. No, that's go fine. check, go, there's go no check. one living here. We don't get it. Why are you guys always here?
4: While Yannette and her 12-year-old daughter have been brave, With sharing this audio, and they've been courageous with wanting to share their story to help others, it's important to note that the emotional trauma that they are experiencing has taken a very serious toll on them, including loss of sleep and feeling unsafe in their own home. We want to make sure that Yannette and her daughter know we're grateful they shared their story. Thank you to you both. Since this story is from Contra Costa, California, we decided to talk to Delia Pedrosa, local fair housing advocate, as to what people can do if they feel they're being harassed by their landlord.
1: Sometimes you have to call, for example, the outreach, the 211. They have a tremendous list of resources where they can provide them with, you know, the best ones for the tenant to call and get help right away. The key here is to call. Call and reach out to any resources to get to the right agency. If this continues on, you know, as far as any harassment happening by their landlords, the best thing that they can do is right away call the police because the shelter-in-place legal order, there is a recital there that the sheriffs will enforce the shelter-in-place and law enforcement. So they can call one or the other, and once they connect to someone that can help them, maybe you know, help and get a restraining order together.
4: Delia also noted that she sees that the state is already preparing for what could possibly be a flood of evictions and unlawful detainers. We want to thank Delia and all others who are working to help renters in this time of crisis. As listeners, we all can do our part by making sure we understand what's happening and then, if we got a little bit extra in us, find out what's happening in our local communities and report. For Pacifica Radio, this has been Sarah Blanco. Reporter, special thanks to producer Freewill and Franklin.
0: Welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 FM, KPFA, and kpfa.org. A big thank you and shout out to graduate apprentice Sarah Blanco. And again, that story originally aired on the Pacifica Radio national collaboration, COVID, Race, and Democracy. And although KPFA has not continued to air the national show, COVID, race, and democracy can still be heard on our sister station, KPFT, in Houston. That's every Monday at noon Pacific time at kpft.org. Or listen to past episodes at covidtaskforce.pacifica.org. That's covidtaskforce.pacifica.org. And just another friendly reminder that we will post all these links and all the information on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just a little after the show tonight. Well, let's move on to the second half of our show tonight, as we move to cover a case of police violence and a possible case of police harassment out of Antioch and Pittsburgh, California. Tuesday of last week, a man was stabbed at the Pittsburgh DMV. According to local press and a Pittsburgh police Facebook post, it was an open-and-shut case with the alleged perpetrator behind bars. But family and supporters of Malad Baldwin say there is another side of the story that went uninvestigated by police and unreported by the local media. Let's check out this interview with Malad's mother, Catherine, his lawyer, Gabrielle Bass, and Justice and Advocate Resource, Lacey Brown. Tonight, we're going to be talking about what happened to Malad Baldwin at the DMV, and this occurred, uh, I believe it was last week at the Pittsburgh DMV. But first, Catherine, um, you are Malad's mother, and there's a history of what's been going on with the police activity in Antioch around Malad. Take us back to the day when this all started and Malad was attacked outside your home.
7: Okay, um, uh, April 28, 2014, Malad was uh, sitting in the passenger seat of my car waiting for me to take my other son to the hospital. And Antioch PD snatched him out of the car, um, handcuffed him, and bent him around, kneed him in the nose, and he he was unconscious. So my son that was upstairs, he witnessed that then... I was in the kitchen and I heard a boom and I went to the front and the door was open. My son had actually jumped down the stairs. That was the boom. When I walked out, Malai was unconscious, bleeding from the face with Officer Brogdon knee in his neck and Officer Kali knee in the back of his leg with his legs pulled up, twisting his feet over. So I started screaming, what's going on? Call 911. And they were cursing me out, telling me to shut the F up and go back in the house and you know just stuff like that and Lawrence my son was screaming for Malai to wake up you know brother wake up wake up Malai please so Malai finally came back to consciousness and Officer Kali let his legs go kicked his legs open with his feet and was pr- pulling all his flashlight at the same time and just started beating him between his buttocks and stuff and Malai screamed and blood flew out of his face and he went back out so my son still had to seek, way they took Lot to the uh, hospital, the ambulance, the to- police had him shoot him up with mental health meds, knocked him out to do illegal toxicology, um, took him in the hospital. We went up to Kaiser. They had him administer mental health medications. He wasn't a mental health client yet. And from that incident, it just tore my life apart because my son was now a different person brutal lies by the police lies told on him by the police. And if it had not been for the pictures that my daughter took, my son would have been going to prison from the lies from the police.
0: And that's a terrible story. And, uh, as a victim of Antioch police violence, myself, I understand the the pain and the trauma it causes, but that was only one in a first, um, of a chain of incidents Kind of go through a couple of other things. Um, Just briefly touch on them. What led us up to what happened last week at the DMV?
7: Right. So he said he wasn't feeling well. My sisters came up and he was talking, you know, like he didn't want to be here. You know, when he gets to that point, I know it's time for him to go get evaluated. So I called 911, told him my son, Bob Baldwin, and the dispatcher asked me, is he hurting anybody? It's just like it was a call about a, a violent call. And I'm like, no, he needs to get to the hospital. She's talking to me, and it's like, dispatch don't even understand. This is a 5150 car. I'm trying to get my son to the hospital. So the police showed up. I'm looking in somebody's face that I saw before, and I kept looking. I said, I know this man. And I said, Collie? And he said, put his hands on this little poster. Where's Malad? And I was like, what are you doing? You already beat my son. This is a 5150 medical car. I'm the street sergeant. So then I just started crying. I just it just all that it just seeing him just triggered me. So he stood there for a minute, the other police stood there and they just walked off. So I just kind of followed them, you know, this is a 5150 call. Why you come here to trigger me? And and Malad, he, he ran, you know. He ran in here because this was the officer that beat him.
0: Okay, so let me make sure that everyone's clear on this. So in 2014 <laughs> when he was attacked by the officers, um, he was left traumatized with some mental health issues. He had had other contacts between now and last week where they have harassed him on the streets out front of your home. They have come into your home on uh, different occasions and harassed him, beat him. and beat now him. and beat him. And now uh, last week he needed some mental health help and you called 911 to get a, a mental health check and to get him picked up and to the hospital and they um the officer that showed up was the officer that had beat him in the original call in 2014.
7: I mean it just really affected me why are you here you beat my son and I have to look in your face again actually him a lot so whatever went through my mind and I I was fearful again and when my son heard call name, he ran ahead
0: so, Malad, not only did those officers show up, but no mental health help um, was served that day. Okay, now tell you us know, um, Tell us what happened at the DMV.
7: So Tuesday, the DMV thing, I started getting Texas and uh, phone calls with well, the Texas first phone calls. And the thing about Malad, my son called me, my other son called me. He said, Mama, he said, I'm calling you with some bad news. I said, what? He said, Milad is not dead. He's okay. But he stabbed somebody three times at the DMV. And I said, what you mean? What you talking about? Because it didn't sound right. And then somebody else called me. Then they started sending me the articles. It didn't sound right. The next morning, I don't think, I think I called Lacey or Lacey. I can't even remember. I can't because I was up all that night tossing and turning because something just wasn't feeling right in my body. I just could It didn't rest with me on my soul that my son just did this.
0: Well let's uh um, read it let's bring in Lacey and ask um you, Lacey. Because this got some publication in a local newspaper, and then it turned out that it wasn't quite exactly what happened. So what did the paper say happened and then what did you find?
8: So I had seen um an article by East uh East County and as well as uh, the Pittsburgh Police Department had um Posted on their Facebook page as well that essentially a man was standing in line at the DMV waiting for his appointment. And an Antioch transient, who later they added was identified as Malad, came up, an altercation ensued, and Malad um, stabbed him three times in the neck. And as soon as um, we saw that Malad was named, I called Catherine because, I mean, anyone who knows him and his family knows that just doesn't sound Right, that doesn't sound like him or something that he would do whatsoever. There were a lot of different stories circulating around. So we knew that uh, that didn't sound like the truth. So we went and did some investigating ourselves. We we went down to the DMV. We interviewed um, a security guard, as well as an employee of the insurance agency that is right next to the DMV. um, And some people who witnessed it, we tried to interview um, the manager inside the DMV and she refused to cooperate. And we, we got some more information. In fact, somebody had taken a video that they were actually afraid to hand over to the police because they're afraid of the police, rightfully so. And they, they gave the video to us and they had actually gotten the entire altercation on tape. Um, and what we discovered is that uh, Malad was actually trying to walk away. It looks like, um, another man is, um, you know, antagonizing him, kind of following him around. They're not in front of the DMV. They're actually on the side in a parking lot. The man actually punches Malad three times in the face. Malad um, is actually on his back with his feet up in the air, up in the bushes, um, in a planter on the side, um, before he reacts at all. And so, um, we were just trying to uncover more information and try to, um, just get the truth out there because so there were hundreds of comments on these posts already about, you know, um, about Malad and, um, people just don't, they jump to conclusions. They don't know. They don't remember that this is a person with a family and feelings and everything behind these posts. And that, you know, you can't just believe everything you read, just take it at face value. You have to understand that there's always two sides to every story.
0: So uh, let me so, just break this down. Basically, what happened was the story that came out in the um, the local press, which was the East County Today net. And then also the Facebook of the Pittsburgh police was really a poor investigation and didn't quite tell the whole story and but was put out there as truth. And what you discovered um, with your own and personal investigation was there was basically a lack of investigating which you had done more and turned up some new evidence. Um, Well, let me move on to uh, uh, Gabrielle Bass, which is Malad's lawyer. And Gabrielle, tell us um, what you have learned about the case and what Malad is facing as in terms of crimes that they're trying to charge him with.
9: Yeah, thank you, Frank. Um, I had the opportunity to talk with Lacey and Ms. Wade the day before I was actually um, appointed on this case. So I'm an attorney, I'm a private attorney, but I'm appointed through the court, through the conflicts program to handle Malad's case. And unfortunately, the way that that, um, assignment is set up is oftentimes I don't get information on his case or a police report until several days after the incident occurred. So it was really great that Lacey and Miss Wade were in place to do some investigating before this case ever landed on my desk. Because you can imagine the police department, and here we saw that police did not do any further investigation. They had what they thought was an alleged victim, and here Mr. Baldwin being the aggressor in this situation. But had they stopped to do just an ounce more of investigating, you would see here that Malad is actually the victim in this case and that he was being taunted by this other individual Who I would name as the aggressor in this situation and you can see from the video that he is being taunted And that it's almost as if the other individual is um, Sort of poking fun at him maybe because of some of the mental health issues that stem or that He has a history of but you really do see it in the video. So Malad's response is justified. In my opinion, it's true self-defense. You see the other individual strike Malad several times, and he's up against a wall, and it's only then that he acts in any sort of form of uh, what they would call violence, but what I would call true self-defense. So it is helpful that I'm able to see this video and sort of compare it with what's in the police report, excuse me, with what's in the police report, which you can imagine is very one-sided. It only has information from the security guard and not even from the alleged victim. So while they are claiming that Malad should be charged with second degree robbery and assault with a deadly weapon, and both of those charges are enhanced because there was an allegation of a special use of a deadly weapon. Here it's this shank or scissors that uh, the police department is mentioning. but these charges are very serious and they come with a statutory minimum on the second degree robbery, a statutory minimum of two years. And that's not something that can be handled. Typically, that's not something that would be served locally, that we're talking prison time. And so for someone with mental health issues, the discussion of custodial stat excuse me, custodial time or any sort of jail time is, should be secondary to sort of getting the the help and assistance and the guidance that the family might need to avoid a situation like this and i commend Catherine for calling who she thought was the appropriate agency to help her in this situation weeks before this incident calling for help because malad was having what we might have thought was an episode or likely to have an episode but what a difficult situation as a mother she must be in to decide, do I call the same police department that brutalized him and beat him years before, or do I try and take this matter into my own hands? I really, there is no right answer because as we've seen, we're sort of damned if we do damned if we don't. Um, But luckily we have, it seems as though he's surrounded by a really great team of supporters and family members to, gather together to get all of the information and all of the investigation done that unfortunately isn't done by the agency that's hired to do it.
0: So what are we looking at for Malad in terms of defense? Are we going to try to get him the uh, mental health help he needs instead of jail time? You know, what can you reveal of your strategy here?
9: Certainly. Well, it's still an open investigation, so I don't want to lay all of my cards out because I'm sure we've got some listeners here. But I will say that based on the video, it looks to me as self-defense. And so if this trial, excuse me, if this case were to be litigated and eventually go to trial, at first glance, it looks like a true self-defense case. Now, we are a long way before trial, a long way before we get to trial, and luckily Malad is out of custody so that we can slow down this investigation and dot all of our I's, cross all of our T's. It took some time to get him out, but thankfully uh, the judge last week agreed that he should be released and returned home to Catherine, although on ankle monitor, he he is home now. But given that, I would like for us to be able to take advantage of some of the resources that the county has. There is a separate, excuse me, a separate department that handles mental health issues in this county. And I do think that there are some advantages. For instance, if a a client is able to successfully complete some mental health counseling and programming, sometimes the court will reduce it from a felony to a misdemeanor or dismiss a misdemeanor altogether. I think that it would take some work for us to accomplish that, but I really would like the court to take a look at MALAD sort of in a holistic view rather than just looking at what is in black and white in this police report because what's missing is a better understanding of who Malad is, what his character is, and the fact that there are several things that were happening both emotionally and physically to him prior to this incident happening. So I do think that there are some resources that we can take, excuse me, we can take advantage of, but I do that with some hesitation because to wrap a client up in additional requirements, right, additional classes, additional appointments, anytime they fail to meet those requirements, it's considered a probation violation, or they're considered, uh, excuse me, they're considered not to be following the orders of the court, which would allow them to remain out of custody. So it really is tricky for someone with, with, uh, a difficult understanding of this process to keep in line with all of those requirements. So I'm working closely with Catherine to make sure that he doesn't violate the ankle monitor requirements so that he doesn't find himself back into custody on a technicality.
0: Uh, Thank you very much. That's the voice of Gabrielle Bass. She is the attorney for Malad Baldwin, who we are talking about tonight. And real quick before we hear from uh, mom again, Catherine, let me, ask you again, Lacey, can you just tell us how people can learn or what's the best way to follow Malad's case? And also I believe they are trying to raise funds for um, legal defense and um, just basically taking care of Malad and making sure he gets the help that he needs as he is um, in the house um, on an ankle monitor. What's the best way to follow him and um, keep in touch?
8: Yes. um. So- So if you go on Facebook, there is a group called Justice Advocates and Resources, um, and that is where we've been posting any updates, um, posts, videos, things like that regarding Malad's case. And if you would like to donate, there are a couple of ways, as well as um, direct Venmo information that is listed there as well. If you're on Instagram instead of Facebook, there's Bay Area Grassroots have been uh, reposting. And justice advocates and resources uh it's actually jar east county on instagram has been posting information on instagram as well um so we've been you know delivering meals and making sure milan has everything that he needs at home um yesterday we went and got some of his favorite snacks and, and groceries and things like that we made sure his room was all set up for him when he got home so i would say that's the best place to kind of keep up to date and then contribute if you'd like to
0: And before I let you off, Lacey, what would you like to see happen in this situation? Because you were somebody that jumped right in and noticed that this was not happening properly. What would you like to, to see take place in a situation like this instead of what we actually saw happen?
8: Um, yeah, for sure. So number one, of course we want to see justice for Malad. We, we don't want to see him punished and put in jail for um, a situation, especially like this. Um, we want to see, um, i would say just my personal goal would be either charges dropped or reduced because i think that the charges um are excessive considering the situation um but also just you know, mental illness or, uh, you know, struggles, struggles are not a crime. Um, you know, if he's suffering from trauma caused by the police or PTSD or, or whatever it is that he's struggling with, the way to help him is not to put him in jail. And so, of course, I'd like to see justice for him in that regard. But I'd also like to see some accountability um, on at least the the city of Pittsburgh police's part, because um, their post, I think, was completely out of line. You know, they don't say allegedly um, they did not include information that they did have in their reports, which we learned at his arraignment. Um, I think that it was intentionally misleading, and it um, it makes it difficult for Milad to have a fighting chance when um, when information when information like this is is being spread around publicly. So I'd like to see accountability on their part as well.
0: All right, that's the voice of Lacey Brown. Justice advocates and resources find them on Facebook, Instagram. And then um, real quick to uh, Catherine, what are you hoping for? And how are things going at home right now uh, with Malad back?
7: Oh, yeah, it's been difficult uh, since he's been home uh, both nights in a row. He's been very sick. Um, They refused to give him any of his medications while he was in jail. And I did call up there. Um, I, I, I just really want justice for my son. I want to know the truth of everything that with the truth of the police lies are. I really want to know what they said. To make my son look like he was such a bad person, he's an Antioch transit you know, stabbed someone in the neck three times, and 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 we gave him a free ride to county jail. That's not how I want my son to be identified if he's not that. And wasn't none of that true?
0: And your uh... wasn't none
7: of that true. I'm tired of fighting this police system. I'm tired of fighting it with their lives and injustices. I'm tired. I'm just tired.
9: Frank, I really think you can hear in Catherine's voice the trauma that she as his mother has suffered and she's here articulating some of Malad's trauma as well, but we will never know what it's like to be in his shoes and be confronted by police officers who have previously beat him, beat him under the guise of law enforcement. And we will never know what it's like to be in Malad's shoes and standing in line at the DMV and to be attacked by someone sort of unexpectedly. And so for someone with trauma like Milad has, both of those incidents do not fall lightly on him. And so I'd like to see the county use their resources not to just imprison him, not to just find him guilty and move on to the next case. But if the county is truly concerned with Milad being in the community and concerned with the community safety then they need to address what needs Malad has. And so I'd really like, as his attorney, to be able to make the court step up to the plate and make them offer him the resources that should have been given to him during these last few calls that Catherine has made.
0: And um, hopefully we'll have time to include this, but do you see any hope in this happening, especially with our uh, district attorney, Diana Becton, who has spoke of restorative justice, who has spoke of... You know, treating um, these types of cases appropriately. Does that give you hope, or have you had any word?
9: I will credit the court to some degree that there have been changes in the last few. Um, there have been changes in the last few months that we've really seen them beef up the uh, mental health department that hears these types of cases. I do think that they can do better. I do think that they can do better, and rather than faulting clients when they. <laughs> Not even fall off the wagon, but when they cannot simply get to um, mental health treatment this week because they're having a tough time, don't fault them for falling off in moments like that. Offer them that much more assistance. Those, those resources are meant to help them, not to sort of set up obstacles and hoops for them to jump through. This sort of circus act that sometimes we see the court require clients to do in order to be in compliance, would be difficult for any of us, but for certainly for someone with mental health issues, I think sometimes the expectation is unrealistic given the resources the county is offering to this person. So I I think that they're doing okay. I'd like to see them do better. Um, So it will be not just the, the courts resources that we use, but really his family and community that's surrounding him, I think those are the resources that will most likely fall back on. Um, And I think that that has been true for some time for this family.
0: Uh, Thank you. That's the voice of Gabrielle Bass. She is the attorney for Malad Baldwin, who is going through um, his case right now through the court's And um, we're looking for justice for Malad and the mental health that he needs. Thank you, Gabrielle, for uh, being there and for standing up for actual justice and for speaking with us today.
9: Thank you, Frank. I appreciate all that you do as well.
0: And Catherine, thanks for sharing your story. And I hope Malad gets the help that he needs. And um, we wish you luck in that battle.
7: Thank you, too, Frank. And I applaud you for living through your experience with the uh, NEON CD and being such a great guy and always concerned about the community. Thank you so much. And God bless.
0: You're welcome, Catherine. Have a good one. You
7: soon.
0: And just a quick reminder that all of these websites and links will be available at KPFAapprentice.org just after the show. And I will also link the video of the attack on Malad That was filmed at the DMV and was not recovered by the Pittsburgh police, was not recovered by any sort of official investigation, but was recovered by an independent investigation of supporters of Milad. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical director is myself, Free Will and Franklin. I have also been your host tonight. Joy Moore is our production consultant. A special shout out to graduate apprentices Darlene Pagano and Sarah Blanco for producing portions of tonight's show. And don't forget to check out our website at kpfaapprentice.org for links and information related to tonight's show. You will also find archives of past shows there. Well, that's it for me. To everyone out there, please protect your health and your humanity. And stay tuned. Up next is Loanda Bajita.